0: on TV, ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the dustin gold standard i am dustin gold and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold folks honestly this is a nice break a bridge from all the excitement of our baby boy being born to when I have to get into eugenics and forced sterilization and get into transhumanism, I'd like to do a little positive stuff first, and it will further help you understand uh, who I am, where I come from. When I'm talking about this, this is not just a job for me, this is the way I feel, it comes from my heart, it comes from my soul, folks. I will fight for humanity, although many humans tick me off quite often, in fact, probably the large majority, but I will fight for humanity and the natural world. And so part of reading this book is doing just that, folks, and it will help you understand why I am so opposed to artificial intelligence, robotics, transhumanism, DNA hacking, synthetic wombs, smart technology, and everything else out there. That is designed to actually destroy humanity to help engineer humanity out of existence and so this book is the exact opposite of that all right again we're reading from the 1976 published book birth without violence we're on part 10 uh part 9 here it says where can we begin the mother is being prepared for her most almost painless delivery but what can we do to prepare the child and when when it is it still in the womb are fine electrodes the answer inserted into the tiny skull through the mother's stomach for god's sakes no although these days technology is capable of such things but that is not our way we must begin by understanding understanding why the newborn infant suffers so much the answer answer is contained in the question and to ask why do babies suffer while being born is to open our ears at least to what they have been crying out so desperately for so long. We must listen to them. We must try to hear, to understand, and we will be halfway there. What makes being born so frightful is the intensity the boundless scope and variety of the experience it's suffocating richness people say and believe that a newborn baby feels nothing he feels everything everything utterly without choice or filter or discrimination birth is a tidal wave of sensation Surpassing anything we can imagine, a sensory experience so fast we can barely conceive of it. The baby's senses are at work totally, they are sharp and open, new. What are our senses compared to theirs? And the sensations of birth are rendered still more intense by contrast with what life was like before. Yes, the senses were already at work long before the baby was here. Among us in our world. Admittedly, these sensations are not yet organized into Integrated coherent perceptions, which makes them all the stronger, all the more violent, unbearable, literally maddening. Let us begin with sight. It is claimed that a newborn infant is blind. Judging by the abundance of blinding lights that are used during deliveries everywhere, this must be a universal postulate. Don't they aim lamps and floodlights at the new arrival? Of course. Who would dim lights for a blind man? These lights are certainly convenient for the attending physician. But what about the baby? When the infant's head is barely out of its mother's genital passage, while its body is still captive, you see the eyes opening and shutting. Immediately, violently, the tiny face presents an indiscriminable picture of suffering. And the familiar cry bursts out. If seeing means being able to construct mental images out of what the eyes are exposed to, then no, the newborn infant doesn't see, not yet. But if seeing is perceiving light, then yes, the infant does see vividly. The baby has the same love, the same thirst for the light that plants and flowers have. The baby is mad for this light, drunk with it, so much so that we should be, uh, we should take infinite precautions. We should offer it infinitely slow. In fact, the baby is so sensitive to light that he or she perceives it while still in the mother's womb. If a woman more than six months pregnant is naked in the sunlight, the infant within her sees it as a golden haze. And now this little creature, so sensitive to the light, is thrust suddenly out of its dark cavern and its eyes are exposed to floodlights? The infant howls aloud. And why should this surprise us? Its eyes have just been burned. Would we choose to drive an infant mad without pain? Mad with pain? the poor little child squeezes its eyes shut but what help is the fragile transparent barrier of its eyelids they say a newborn child is blind no it is blinded and what about hearing is the baby deaf no more than blind by the time babies are actually born their ears have already been serving them for a long time While they are still in the womb, the noises of their mother's bodies reach them. Joints cracking, intestinal rumblings, and giving the rhythm to it all is the strong drumbeat of the mother's heart. And then her voice, the mother's voice, which sets its stamp on the child forever. Each voice is unique, inimitable, the way fingerprints are, The unborn baby is marked by its mother's voice, its nuances, its inflections, its moods, and that is not all. Just as they perceive the light, unborn infants perceive the sounds of the world, despite the thickness of the mother's stomach wall. They receive them the way fish do through the waters in which they bathe sounds modulated transformed and then birth sounds muted until now suddenly strike the young arrival with all their force the waters have vanished the protective shield of the mother's stomach is gone the young ears are suddenly vulnerable nothing protects them any longer from the world's uproar the infant is born into a thunderous explosion it convulses should we be surprised the world cries out the child gives an answering cry once again it is we who are deaf how can we know what a child is hearing as it's born who bothers to lower his voice in the delivery room there is more shouting than speaking come on push push again again And in the general excitement when the child emerges, more exclamations, new explosions of sound. How does the infant react? Again, by cradling its head in its hands, the newborn instant, deaf. No, it is not. Poor little creature. What a fate to be born and to fall into our hands, victim of our ignorance and cruelty. It has been blinded and deafened. What about its sense of touch? Its skin, thin, fine, almost without a protective surface layer, is as exposed and raw as tissue that has suffered a burn. The slightest touch makes it quiver. An infant even trembles when someone comes near it. Until birth, its skin knew only the velvet caress of membrane. Then suddenly it is wrapped in harsh fabrics. Newborn babies arrive in our world as if on a carpet of thorns, They'll adapt to it by withdrawing into themselves, by deadening their senses. But when they first land on these thorns, they howl naturally. And idiots that we are, we laugh. And all this is only the beginning. Yes, this hell exists and it burns. It is not a fable. This hell does not come at the end of our life. It is here at the beginning. Hell is what the infant must suffer through to arrive here among us. Its flames assail the child from every direction. They burn the eyes. The skin penetrate down through the flesh. They devour. This fire is what the infant feels as the air rushes into the lungs. The air which enters and sweeps through the trachea and expands the alveoli is like acid poured on a wound. This is no exaggeration we have only to watch someone trying to inhale cigarette smoke for the first time it's nothing to the habitual smoker his saturated membranes have long ago given up the battle but the novice whose tissues are still reasonably undamaged no sooner takes a lungful of smoke than he explodes in a frantic effort to get rid of its intolerable burning his eyes water his face turns crimson <laughs> that's just me coughing folks or a Imagine a child who, fooled by the colorlessness of pure alcohol, accidentally drinks it in place of water. No sooner does it reach the child's throat than it is vomited back up in a single violent reaction, while tears mix with his trembling hiccups and he flushes scarlet. For the infant coming into this world, the burning sensation of his air entering the lungs surpasses every other horror. Seared to its very depths, the entire body quivers, shudders with horror protests. Everything struggles to repulse the enemy. And this is the baby's cry, the cry that marks and celebrates the passage into life. This is a no, a passionate, violent protest. A cry that it is, that is as desperate as it is useless, since this thing must be. For it is only the first of all the breaths that are to follow, and each burns more than the one before. And is this all? Alas, no. When the infant emerges, the doctor seizes it by one foot and holds it up, dangling it head down. As usual, his intentions are good. The infant's body is, in fact, quite slippery, coated as it is with vernix. the the thick white grease that covers it from head to toe the infant is held by the foot to prevent it from slipping and falling such a handhold is sure convenient convenient for us and for the infant what does it feel finding itself suddenly upside down indescribable vertigo those who have nightmares in which they plunge suddenly into a void are familiar with the sensation it stems directly from this moment during their birth To understand the full horror of such a fall into the abyss, it is essential that we go back for a moment to the mother's womb. We know very little about our body, so little that we forget the importance of the spine. It is behind us, yet it rules our every mood. Whether vibrant and gay, lethargic and sad, strength is in the back, fear between the shoulder blades. Our states of mind are really the states of our back, and to understand the horror of the shock we inflict on an infant when we suspend it by its feet, we must first realize what the back is undergoing at that moment, to measure the difference between its before and its now. Before, was what the backbone experienced when, with great difficulty, the infant was trying to find its way into the world. In fact, we must return even further, return into the mother's uterus, and there we must relive what this spine has undergone. Ladies and gentlemen, I am going to undergo a short break. Stick with me, folks. I'm telling you, this is worth it. This book encompasses everything that we are fighting for and that we fight against. This is the purest form of bringing a child into this world naturally. Who then has to navigate through this hellhole of a world? Maybe if children were treated this way, if they were born this way, we wouldn't have so many psychopaths out there working in the world of science and engineering. These Frankenstein doctors who don't care about humanity, who have no love for the natural world. Maybe if they were born without violence, we would not have the problem that we face today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Folks, we are reading Birth Without Violence, a book written in 1976 by Dr. Friedrich Leboyer, Ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, my favorite book ever written. Everything I'm fighting for, ladies and gentlemen. It goes on to say a baby's life passes through two stages in the womb, two seasons of equal duration, which oppose each other like winter and summer. The first is the golden age, the embryonic stage, when the infant is like a small plant growing and blossoming, anchored. The embryo becomes the fetus. The plant becomes animal. Movement comes to it beginning as the trunk spreading outward to the extremities the fetus stirs takes pleasure in its limbs and in its freedom supported by waters all around it the fetus is weightless light as a bird agile and lively as a fish its contentment and freedom are limitless as is its kingdom whose boundaries it brushes against from time to time for in this first half of pregnancy the egg the membrane which contains the fetus and the fluids in which it is bathed grows more rapidly than the child fast as the infant develops its kingdom grows faster so the baby never suffers from a sense of confinement yet Yes, its confinement is unlimited, and the photographs we have of it at this stage show a completely relaxed expression. A vision of serenity. This is the golden age, but it doesn't last. In the depths of the womb, the infant has been overtaken by natural law, the law of universal revolution, which stipulates that everything must become its opposite midway through the pregnancy everything changes the infant continues to grow and to develop rapidly but the egg that contains him grows only slightly by comparison his tribulations begin the baby begins to feel closed in slowly the universe is contracting what was once unbounded space becomes more confining each day gone is the limitless ocean of early and happier days that absolute freedom is no more welcome to earth little man welcome to earth that's me folks all right let's continue and one day the baby finds itself a prisoner and in such a prison the cell so small that the prisoner's body touches the walls all of them at once walls that draw nearer all the time to the point when one day the infant's back and the mother's uterus seem to be fused together for a long time the little creature won't accept it struggles protests in vain Inexcorably, the prison closes in, the child accepts, is there any choice? The spine curls up, the head bends, the whole body makes itself small. Perhaps some instincts suggest that none of this is permanent, that good can come from misfortune. Each day the baby grows larger inside the shrinking prison and huddles up, crouches, submits. Then one day the prison comes to life. No longer merely to keep the infant huddled in submission, it begins, like some octopus to hug and crush. Terrified, the infant endures it. The contraction ceases, returns, goes away again. Then there is another, not strong, playful so that once the infant has recovered from its initial fright it comes to like them to wait for the contractions to hope for them when they come embracing the infant hugging it it surrenders to them arches its back quivers with pleasure as this sensational game and these caresses are going to last a whole month the ninth Painless for the mother, they prepare the child for the contractions of actual labor, which will be 10 times more intense. And so he's talking about Braxton Hicks contractions. We'll get into that in the next show. Goes on to say one day these contractions are no longer a game. They crush, they stifle, they assault. One day labor starts. The delivery has begun. An intrinsic force, wild, out of control, has gripped the infant a blind force that hammers at it and impels it downward. It is no longer enough for the infant to bend its back. Overpowered, it huddles up as tightly as it can. With its head tucked in and its shoulders hunched together, it is hardly more than a little ball of fright. The prison has gone berserk, demanding its prisoner's death. The walls close in still further. The cell becomes a passageway, the passage, a tunnel with its heart bursting the infant sinks into this hell its fear is without limit then suddenly fear changes to anger In rage, the infant hurls itself against the barrier at all costs it must break through free itself yet all this force this monstrous unremitting pressure that is crushing the baby pushing it out toward the world and this blind wall which is holding it back confining it these things are all one the mother she is driving the baby out at the same time she is holding it in preventing its passage it is she who is the enemy she who stands between the child and life only one of them can prevail it is mortal combat this infant is like one possessed mad with agony and misery alone abandoned in fights with the strength of despair the monster drives the baby lower still and not satisfied with crushing it twists it in a refinement of cruelty, the infant's head and body exude a corkscrew motion to clear the narrow passage of the pelvis. And the infant's head, bearing the brunt of the struggle until it is almost forced down between the shoulder blades, down onto the chest, why does the head give way? The baby is now at the height of its travail the effort required is too great the end is surely near death seems certain the monster bears down one more time and it is then that then that everything explodes the whole world bursts open no more tunnel no prison no monster the child is born and the barrier disappeared thrown away nothing except the void with all its horror freedom And it is intolerable. Where am I? Everything was pressing in on me, crushing me. But at least I had a form. My mother, my hated prison. Where are you? Alone. I am nothingness, dizziness. Take me back. Contain me again. Destroy me. But let me exist. The infant is crazed with pain. And for a simple reason, suddenly nothing is supporting his back. And it is in this... uh, paroxysm of confusion of despair and distress that someone seizes the baby by a foot and suspends it over the void the spinal column has been strained bent pushed and twisted to the limit of its endurance and now it is robbed of all support and the head so supremely involved in the passage outward now it also is dangling twisting And this is at the very moment when in order to calm this vast terror, this panic, what is essential is coming together with the mother, a reuniting. If our deliberate intention was to teach the child that it had fallen into an indifferent world, a world of ignorance, of cruelty, and of folly, what better course of action could we have chosen? Now on what surface do we place this terrified baby who has so painfully emerged from the enveloping warmth and softness of the womb on a scale, often of steel, a cold that burns like fire? The cries redouble, and so does the joy of the onlookers, particularly if the baby's weight when it is announced is impressive. That's my baby crying, the ecstatic mother says. The baby is picked up again, again by the feet head dangling once again vertigo once again terror the baby is laid down again on some corner of the table on top of some cloth and abandoned still crying and is this all no it is still necessary to attend to the eyes to put drops in them the body struggles the eyes are forced open and several drops of burning liquid are squeezed in And we'll get into all this when I talk about our experience, folks. We did not allow most of this to happen. Again, we ended up in the hospital where we did not want to be. But this is a story of perseverance and a story of preparedness And a story of realism that we're about to unfold over the next couple of episodes as I share my personal experiences with you of planning for a completely natural birth and then having to adjust along the way, folks. It's all about overcoming adversity. Uh, being true to oneself and having to make sacrifices in the heat of the moment, but being 100% fully prepared uh, for situations that may arise. And that's what this show is all about, being prepared for the future. There may be things coming our way that we do not agree with, we do not want to be part of, some of which we will have to interact with. That's part of living one foot in the matrix. But the more we prepare for these things, the more we can avoid them as much as possible and be able to navigate them because we know what we are facing. And so this book helped us start out with our uh, baseline of what we wanted. And then along the way, we had to make some very difficult decisions uh, and didn't get everything we wanted. But we got our baby home the same day. We did not allow the hospital to lock our baby into some sort of confinement. We got him on my wife's chest within a matter of a couple of minutes. And so we ended up giving up some stuff, but we ended up protecting our baby boy. And it's all in due, to, uh, due to this book and the wonderful team of people uh, around us and the research that we did that we were able to get out of this in a very uh, good situation with our heads held high. It continues to say, and now the infant is alone, abandoned by everyone and everything, lost in a world as hostile as it is incomprehensible. Still trembling with terror, hiccuping, choking, unhappiness is so ingrained in most babies by this time that they can hope for nothing else. If someone approaches, they tremble even more, and then we are uh, an extraordinary thing. When the tears and the gasping and the pain become too much, the infant flees not literally its legs of course cannot help it the baby disappears into itself doubles up again curls up into a ball folds its arms and legs against itself and once again adopts the fetal position symbolically it has taken itself back into the womb overcome by the horror of the world it returns to paradise It objects to having been born. It becomes a fetus again, and once again a prisoner. Calm, but not for long. The baby is picked up again, dressed in things that are tight, rough, heavy, but which are so pretty, which go so well, which please the mother, the family, their friends. Once again, the baby protests, bursts into loud sobs, cries, howls. For as long as its strength holds out, And when it is no longer able to cry, it collapses, sinks into sleep, its only refuge, its only friend. This is birth, the torture of an innocent. What futility to believe that so great a cataclysm will not leave its mark. Its traces are everywhere in the skin, in the bones, in the stomach, in the back, in all of our human folly. In our madness, our tortures, our prisons, in legends, epics, myths, in the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, we'll get into part two of Birth Without Violence. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv.